0: Hello and welcome to Generation AI, where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and education. Each week we offer in-depth insights, ethical considerations, and practical applications of AI for today's educators and leaders. Here are your hosts, Ardis Kadiu and Dr. JC Bonilla, guiding you through AI's transformative role in shaping the future of how we work, learn, and engage. Artists, how do you like that? Not our voice, not our jam, but our intro.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I, I like it. It's very repetitive to hear my voice all the time. So, this is, this is great.
0: <laughs> we should hire this person to do it every time. Hello, everybody. We have a very special episode today. I've taken a deep dive into the world of deep fakes, very contextual to what has happened today. And artists and I are bringing what we like to say the art, the science, and in the intricate dance between fear and opportunity around synthetic media, AKA deep fakes. What we want to do in the next half hour or so is demystify it. There's a lot of artists, as you know, this conversation could take us in grim and loom. That's not the objective. That's not who we are. We're technologists, we're AI experts and enthusiasts. So we want to showcase that it's truly problematic, but the opportunity, it's bright. It's interesting. There's also business models that we think are interesting and strategies to safeguard, talk about misuse, but also strategies to basically double down. So if anything, today's conversation is about what is reality, what is mystery, what is speculation and opportunity. You ready for it, my friend?
1: Absolutely, let's do this.
0: So let's set the stage with 2023 person of the year, Taylor Swift. Artists, right, I want to tell everyone what happened in the past few weeks with our dear friend, Taylor Swift.
1: It's really interesting because I see a theme here. So we're pulling in pop culture and popular media and we bring into our podcast to talk about generation AI or, or generative AI for that matter. In our last episode, we talked about Kelsey and Vector's search and... Knowledge search. Well, today we're gonna talk about Taylor Swift again.
0: It's revealed now, we're Swifties, we're Swifties. (laughs) Hey, my daughter is, you know, she's 12. I'm not in that camp. I do appreciate her art, but I'm not a Swiftie. unfortunately. A great artist. So one of the things that, if you've been following social media,
1: Taylor Swift deepfake scandal emerged as a significant concern when like a non-consensual deepfake, it was actually pornographic images of her, proliferated on Twitter or X, and it was seen over 40 million times throughout the network. Basically, fans were trying to override the threads and the popularity of the, of the images. However, the damage was already done, and it was seen over 40 million times during the span of a very, very short period of time.
0: It's a scandal, right? Because a public figure at the caliber and level of Taylor Swift, which basically it's in a different spectrum, gets put in this really controversial aspect. But you also start seeing the effect community. And, you know, there's also angles on what does it mean that deep fakes are so close to pornographic content? About 96% of use cases on deep fakes tend to have pornographic content. There's also, unfortunately really difficult things that we're not going to be talking about today, but within that subset of deepfakes, women tend to be the usual suspect that gets abused and affected. And although those are very serious things, it's not our land of expertise, nothing but empathy and more like disgust for it from my point of view. But what we're here to do today is, is talk about how these things are produced. Not that we encourage you to do this type of deepfake use case, but there's really interesting use cases that are emerging. And Artis, one of the things that you were really excited about this in terms of context is that election year is coming up. So what's the primer? We're going to talk about the sign, how a fake is produced, the business models, and in a way, the demystification of it. So Taylor Swift takes place, and now the election year. What are you anticipating, and why is this generation AI type of topics?
1: Yeah, so the reason for us talking about this is because AI now is coming into the mainstream media, and it's coming into everybody's households. And it's affecting everyone. So in an election year, when misinformation or disinformation are one of the most powerful tools of you know, influencing elections, it becomes very, very important for us as uh, citizens to understand how we're uh, looking through at this media or this information that's coming through on our different channels. So it's very important for us to understand it. It's very important for us to you know, as AI enthusiasts, to to kind of put the the benefit, but also the risk that that we see every single day that these technologies can have on society, they can have on our day to day lives, and of course, you know, they can be massive implications as as we go through this. So it's really really important topic that you know we should be talking about and and understanding what it is and, and how we can spot it and how we can kind of avoid it as
0: well. Indeed. So with that, my friends, let's jump in. The first section of our conversation today is going to be about the science of a deep fake. And Artis, I'd like to do this journey with you. It's a little bit of, you know, improvising. So everybody, I hope you are able to capture our excitement and lack of preparation sometimes. But artists, <laughs> would you mind opening this TikTok that is on our episode notes? Artists, walk us through what you're seeing. And everybody, artists has not seen this. Artists, what are you seeing? Harris,
1: I don't want to be late to this premiere. We got to go.
0: Oh, so I see Tom I Cruise in his closet with Paris Hilton.
1: Huh. They you seem like I'm they're so a couple. <laughs> Very... You're like, huh? <laughs> oh. <laughs> interesting. I don't know if Tom Cruise is that tall, actually, so this is definitely a deep, you know...
0: You're seeing a taller version of Tom Cruise, I see.
1: The taller version, yeah. <laughs> Paris Hilton is pretty tall, so... they seem to be a couple... Wow. Okay, this is interesting.
0: And tell everyone what do you see in terms of attire.
1: Tom Cruise is wearing right. a tuxedo. No, Paris Hilton is wearing a very nice, it seems very transparent dress. So,
0: yeah. They're heading to a premiere, right? The whole play and this is content that is produced by Chris Um, CEO and founder of Metaphysics. One of the biggest showcases of Deep Fake, the positive side. There's a whole TikTok page on Deep Tom where Tom Cruise has not sued him. Because the type of content that they put in, maybe make him taller, and they kind of have some uh, alignments. I don't know. I'm speculating. But what you just saw, artists and everybody, it's something that looks very real. And at one point, oh my gosh, I did not know that Tom Cruise and Paris Hilton were a couple. Obviously, false. And in this video, they're getting ready to go into a red carpet event premiere, and you can see the the closet with like the dresses. As artists said transparent you know like legit right yes if you see this for the first time and you don't have a lot of understanding you would probably buy it correct
1: yeah i mean i'm i'm a tom cruise fan but he's it seems like he's getting younger and younger in this in this videos huh
0: <laughs> you're like oh yes so what is a deep fake fake is synthetic media right and it includes images videos audios all powered by artificial intelligence and is basically designed to provide an alternative reality to events that have never taken place. The term deepfake comes from two words, deep, basically a play on a type of technique powering AI, deep learning, right, And neural nets. And fakes because it's this depiction of reality that doesn't exist, a controversial content, something that is unreal. The term was used for the first time in 2017. I was expecting to find, I don't know, a deepfake 1942 paper, but no, no, it's literally very controversial. And it starts from a Reddit thread, the moderator basically call it deepfakes, where people start posting face swapping technology and inserts of celebrity faces onto pornographic content. And that's basically how the term is coined and has taken into the connotation. It has that negative root, and that's an important thing, remember, that use case it's too open and it's too big, but the use cases we're going to be talking and focusing today have a really interesting spin-off. Artists, let's switch our conversation to an ML, AI, data science focus. So for those of you who are technologists, what we want to give you in the next two three minutes is how do they work, right? So first, to generate a fake, you have to do gigantic data collection. So can you remind everybody, how do I get Tom Cruise's face or my voice How do I start doing basically multi-source data collection? What does it need and kind of what is the state of the art on data collection artists?
1: Yeah. So when we look at deep fakes, there's two things that you need in there. You need a representation of what's called the source material, meaning who do we want to mimic or, or what voice do we want to mimic and so on and so forth. And we need a lot of samples out of that. And then we have a foundational model that is able to represent what we want the output to be, very similar to, you know, we want an audio model, so we're, we're training it in a lot of audio context or audio files, so to speak. So the way it works then, it's this idea that we're taking a, a large sample and we're taking this, this material that is the source material And we're bringing it down to the root artifacts of what the model can construct. Basically simplifying it, simplifying all the features of this content. And then there is another part of the model that is constructing that back up, but now it's replacing the details and it's replacing some of the components of it with the new representation that you want in there. So this idea of training these models, they're actually called generative adversarial networks that that you train. They become really, really important in how we're able to keep the details keep the you know the movement and and all of the different features that we want to be there however we're able to replace certain components of that certain features so to speak And that's exactly how these work. So we can certainly replace, you know, you've seen filters that you put on Instagram filters and so on. So that's exactly how they work, right? So they have these models that say, hey, we detect these certain features, like we detect your eyes or your face, and now we're able to superimpose things and and regenerate things based on those features. So we're able to target certain components. In this case, all faces can be removed and swapped with the new faces that we want.
0: Yep. So what artist has said, right, let's take it from the top. You need the data collection by the object type that you want to do. So you're going to need a million mouths, right, eyes blinking, hands movement. You need to have audio. And that's basically the data collection is gigantic, but it's at the object type level. We will throw advanced machine learning, apparently gangs, which are basically generative advertising networks, the way they work. Think about our feedback loop, everybody. So that means that the model trains produce an output and there's a secondary model that looks at the reality and computes the error and then kind of goes back and that feedback becomes of course at the computational power today very, very very fast and it reduces the distance between this totally looks like fake to oh my gosh that's just tom cruise right a little taller and then the whole you know tuning aspect then that's how face gets swapped right and that's how audio gets swapped and that's how the mouth gets moved and whatnot so if These are basically the steps that would take place and I would double down on the computational power and the speed in which this takes place, right? It's just, it's an incredible milestone. And as a technologist, I just want to say, I'm so impressed of what a deepfake is. As a technological accomplishment, it's so interesting, right? That we can literally, I was doing this yesterday, playing around with some of the prep for the episode. I was given a script of about, I don't know, 32 seconds. I read it. In 32 seconds, you learn my accent, my style of talk, and then I did some of the intros, outros of this episode, and I never done them. And if anything, my friend, you know, I'm ready for the next co-host because I, now I can do the intro and outro, which is 50% <laughs> of your job.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: It took 35 seconds of training. Isn't that incredible? Is that video, is that compression?
1: Like how does that? So the way that works, it's these base models are getting better and better at representing different variations on the output. So the base models are getting better and better. So it needs very little differentiation then. So it needs very little JC voice in order to superimpose that. So it's gotten really, really, really good at all the nuances, all of the variations. We're training them with more and more data very, very fast. So we need very little source material now to inject in that base
0: model. And this is very important. Those are the, the layers, right? The layers principle exactly. in deep learning, right? That the base, it could be two layers, five layers, a hundred layers, who knows? And then there's a new layer that comes right. in, which is my voice, and it only requires 35 seconds, right? That's, that's what you're talking about.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's like, it's the fine tuning component that's happening at that point. So it's fine tuning it.
0: Just like we do with large
1: language models, when we fine tune it with very few examples, we're doing the same thing here. We're
0: fine tuning it with the JC features of your voice. Artists. one of the important things it's to demystify the technology speaking it's very interesting we can keep on going in this direction i just want to anchor that as new technology emerges the guardrails around this technology regulation and or stimulation just like wave signals in radio right it's incredible right that you can penetrate a house through wave signals and you can also understand what's happening there fcc multiple things emerge today the regulatory body and the governance for defects do not exist. The closest is Section 230. Are you familiar with Section 230, Artis? And how a social media provider, it cannot be sued for, in this case, what happened with Taylor Swift?
1: Yeah, so that's, a, that's an important one. Well, actually, the, the FCC is uh, trying to use the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, actually.
0: Telephone Consumer Act. Oh, my gosh, that sounds... I just, I just went back to JC, 15-year-old, and my, you know, dialing phone numbers.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is very timely because one of the deep fakes that we saw very recently was President Biden doing a campaign call in, in New Hampshire telling voters not to go and vote, and this was a deep fake. So what the FCC is trying to do is to use the Telephone Consumer Protection Act of 1991 to basically restrict telemarketing calls and the use of automatic, obviously, phone systems to do this. And they're trying to use that law in order to make it illegal for the creation of these deep fakes, but also not just the deployment, but also the creation and trying to use that to to prohibit it. So it's really, really interesting. So it's proposing to take AI-generated robocalls and make them illegal to protect consumers from fraud and deception and maybe restore some trust. But we probably will see this you know, battle going back and forth quite a bit right now.
0: And the battle is going to start basically bringing this regulation that, I guess, take us to 1940, radio and telephone or audio, right? There is no regulation right now, so we're trying to use older regulation, yeah. I, I want to mention 230. 230 is one of the most controversial regulations because it allowed web operators, let's say Facebook, to have a legal framework so that they are not say sued when a deep fake of artists in JC, I don't know, running in Cancun on pink dresses hasn't happened yet. And then we will come and say, hey, that never happened. So we we cannot sue Facebook because if anything, the legal framework is who is the author? And going back to that person, but also this anonymity and all this type of thing. So 230 and many FCC kind of all-body regulations will come in and give us those guardrails. So technology, incredible. The legal framework needs some work. Let's go into the second part of this conversation, which is the art of the deepfake. So if the science is really incredibly amazing, let's start thinking about how it gets deployed. And it's an art because art's subjective and sometimes we like it, sometimes we don't like it, and controversial. So with this this is a multimedia episode artist. I love to play my most favorite deepfake of all times. Everybody, let's tune it in and let's listen to "Heart on My Sleeve," a song written and produced by a TikTok user, Ghostwriter 977. What a great name! And he vocals the sound of Drake and The Weeknd through generative AI. this song has not taken place and it broke it broke culture pop culture because not only generated thousands of views and plays on tiktok but it also jumped the tiktok social media and it went into streaming platforms like apple and spotify youtube and also did fantastically obviously Universal Music Group representing Drake and some of the content pulls it out and discredits that this is not a Drake or a Weekend song, but it's incredible, right? That is the beautiful thing about when deepfake is done the right way. No one has been sued, put a dent into intellectual property. What does that mean? Like, Is Drake's voice allowed to be trained or exposed to the objects the artist was talking about and introduced? in any LLM so I can do Drake alike. Can I have Drake intro our podcast today? Today, you can.
1: I'm sure for a fee,
0: yeah. Well, that doesn't have a legal framework. And we've spoken about those things in the past, right? What about content? Fine, I'm not gonna use Drake, but Drake sings and writes in a style. I'm gonna do that, same fashion, right? And then we start kind of having variations. Obviously, as we know, there's a pornographic aspect. We're going to stay away from it, but it's generating tremendous business models there and commercialization. Apparently, it's about an estimate of 130 million views have basically grown from last year to this year around this type of content. When you start looking at the demographics of not pornographic specific, but you know all the folk looking into this, is expected that it's mostly male-dominated, very US-centric also, The U.S. captured about 41% of the market share, followed by South Korea, interestingly, and then Europe specifically with the U.K., about 12%. And then there's been a shift, really incredible shift that in North America, Mexico, Canada, and the U.S., the utilization or the deployment has gone from 0.2% to 2.6%. So really, really important jump. So the business models are important. And what we want to start talking about is, hey, everybody, there are really interesting ways in this, how this synthetic technology is being used. So let's riff here, artists. The first one is entertainment and media productions. Deep fakes are being used to look at your favorite song from 1960s. Everybody, artists plays a lot of 1960s, 40s, all these songs. This man has the ear of a 90-year-old old old man. And they can be re-recorded, edited, preserved. And all of a sudden, a movie that is in an analog form, literally decaying, can be digitized and upgraded and presented in the standards of today. So entertainment and media applications, fantastic artists.
1: Yeah, I love that. I think if you take a couple of movies that were done a decade ago or so the story of benjamin button of the aging and kind of the rejuvenation of the actor how do you do that so those are some of the effects that we've seen in movies but they required a lot of visual effects uh, prowess in order to get those things done well now we can do them really really easily with this newer technologies and the old movies that are being revived again are something that you know we can certainly take a look at and say well Is it the real, let's say Frank Sinatra, or is it the real Dean Martin that's actually doing that duet, or is it just a a fake of it? At the end of the day, I don't know if entertainment will be the same. And art is one of those things that is constantly pushing the limits of what we can do with synthetic media and what we can do with the idea of sampling, right? The idea of sampling in media and audio and film and so on and so forth has been around for a long time and everything kind of builds on top of each other. And now the acceleration of this is even more important in here. Hey everyone, Artis here, founder and CEO of Element 451. I'm thrilled to invite you to the Engage Summit in Raleigh, June 25th and 26th. It's our annual gathering where AI and higher education come together in exciting ways. A lot of the sessions will focus on cutting edge AI that are reshaping student experience. They're enhancing staff productivity and offering deep insights into your data. Imagine two days filled with hands-on sessions, real success stories, and the chance to network with top minds in the field. You live with practical, transformative takeaways as you learn how AI can foster a more personalized, efficient approach from recruiting to student success and even to alumni engagement. Oh, and the best part, Engage Summit is incredibly affordable. Try discount code in Enrollify50, that's Enrollify50, and you can register for just $99. So join me and many of my fellow Enrollify network creators at Engage Summit this coming June. Learn more and register at engage.element451.com. We can't
0: wait to see you there. Artists. Advertisement and marketing, another use case. And I am at the center of this, right? Creative content is super expensive. Organizations like us, we charge gazillion millions of dollars. There's too much money being moved into basically having consumers be influenced by copy, creative and whatnot. And what we know is that it's so easy to get a mascot dance (laughs) and apply it in multimedia content for the Super Bowl, for TikTok and Twitter, and also give me the English version The English American version, the Spanish version for Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, and give me a little bit of a twist of Caribbean flavor. And all that gets done with the press of a button. So the applications in advertising and marketing, fascinating because not only allows the cost, which all of us are basically paying consumers, when you buy an Oreo cookie, and I know about this, you are basically (laughs) subsidizing billions of dollars in the CPG industry, right? Advertising. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Correct. So now if that production cost drops by half, the cookie price should drop a little bit, a little bit. And we all love those cookies, all right? Oreos, my favorite. What do you have to say about advertisement and marketing? Where do you see the fakes going deep? <laughs> no pun intended.
1: Well, certainly the personalization, personalized content and advertising becomes really important. So as we're trying to reach more and more segments, that cost now becomes tangible. It it literally goes down to almost zero, right? So the idea of putting these things together is where most of the cost and the post-production goes down to almost zero. We're not going to see it right now, but we're probably going to see it over the next 12 to 24 months as this becomes cheaper and cheaper. Now, when you look at it from the other use case in education and training, right? I mean, this is our field, education and training. Before it was really difficult to have a script, to record that script, to have a online class, you needed so many different production folks to actually put these videos online and to have an online class. Today, we can have these deepfakes create immersive educational content, such as historical figures delivering a lecture, for example, or maybe an interactive learning experience where you have virtual instructors that maybe don't exist at all. So it can make the education materials kind of more engaging and accessible to, to a larger audience. And of course, the language and the accessibility becomes really important because you can deliver that lecture or you can deliver that content in multiple languages as well so this is very very timely around education and training
0: imagine i am a high school student and now what i'm able to do is observe you know abraham lincoln's speech on Gettysburg. but now i actually can see it immerse and see the man giving the speech and i'm actually in the battlefield so that's really the opportunity and education and training in that immersiveness aspect is one of the things that excites me the most speaking of immersive corporate communications my other boss, not my wife, the one that actually pays the bills, <laughs> it's an incredible figure. And as a communicator, you know, you want to listen to him. And his name is Gary Vaynerchuk. And then literally, it gives you fuel to manage your teams for a month, right? We have offices in Mexico. We have offices all over the world. And they don't get that Gary magic, right? Because they don't speak English. A creator in today in Malaysia, right, doesn't have the sophistication to really translate the man. So all of a sudden what you have is, give me this presentation in Gary's style, tone, but in Malaysian, in variations of dialects in India, Chinese, Costa Rican Spanish accent versus Colombian accent. And by the way, you could even play, I'm, I'm not joking, you can play the Mexican Spanish with the Mexican language in jokes. It's so interesting. So that application of corporate communication has taken place. Artists, you know where I'm starting to see use cases here? CEOs that need to communicate basically billions of dollars of fluctuation in earnings calls, right? If they flop that presentation, people say, ah, I don't like what you just said. I'm going to sell my stock. All of a sudden deploy their earnings calls using deepfake because it's on script and basically synthetic. Perfect. Incredible aspects. Artists, can you go deeper into personal nice content? Because that's, I know, one of the things that Element it's really good at and you've been pioneering. But where do you see the use cases on personal content creation for deepfakes? I have a really interesting example
1: here. If you have little kids, uh, you probably have called, there's a number that you call and you get a call back from Santa. You leave the kid's name and then Santa calls you back with the kid's name and says, hey, I'm on my way. And then it provides a lot of other. (laughs) Exactly. So that personalization on a celebrity or someone kind of personalizing this message to you and a kid it's, it's super, super important. So when you think about the personalization aspect around content creation, this is around videos, so you can personalize videos now. So I can create 100, 200, 300, or even thousands of different personalized videos just by saying the same message, but now the word and, and how I say it can change and that can be injected through the CRM. So as this becomes more and more uh, available to us and we can have this deep fake as a service, so to speak, right? So just like we have translation as a service, just like we have large language models as a service, you know, these deep fakes as services, we're going to be able to bring those into our workflows, which becomes a lot easier to personalize. And we all know that the personalization of one-to-one is really what marketing is all about. So now imagine having multimedia personalization in that one-to-one level
0: yeah and probably these deep fake as a service platforms and technology will do a ton of these use cases the last one that i think is super interesting uh, let's go back to the video of tom cruise wearing a suit oh my gosh i like that suit how does it look on me right i'm shopping for shoes in amazon right and does it fit my you know big fat toe, whatever it is that your your body is different and unique. All of a sudden, the fashion retail industry with virtual tries on and how does it look and fit, it's really giving us tremendous potential here. So they're starting to see a lot of synthetic reproduction of self, me, with these artifacts and also like, you know, let me see it. How does it fit? Oh, Can I give me a smaller version and let's make it green? And then you get to see all that in real time, fast pace and really bring a consumer experience to the next level.
1: Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of really interesting use cases, but again, we need to kind of balance that with everything that we hear from the media, which those use cases that are not necessarily appropriate are amplified the most. And that's what we hear. But there are all of these beneficial use cases that we're going to see in all of our day-to-day lives and trying to make it in as, you know, slowly, but surely into every one of our products
0: and every one of our media that we're consuming today. Lovely. So, everybody, we've been having this conversation about the technology of the fakes. And as technologists, we celebrate that, acknowledging that the guardrails are forthcoming. We also wanted to give you a different take outside all these really complicated use cases that are dominating the application of where the promise lays. To wrap it up, Artis and I, what we like to do is start basically reefing around misinformation and disinformation. Remember, misinformation is when the intended use of the information. It's it's basically not ill. I just didn't know, and I told you something that didn't make sense. I'm basically spreading false information, but the intent it's not at the center of I want to create something that is false. Whereas this information, it is totally designed to disseminate things that are not real, and the intent is to create that type of ill aspect. It has its roots in you know really interesting geopolitical aspects that could take us back to the Cold War and really designed for espionage, propaganda, dispersion, all these type of things. So what that parallel of disinformation misinformation now brings us is that there are two places where we see the evolution of technology or media, and we can draw from those parallels, right, to say this is where deep fakes should be going, right? So the first one is in cybersecurity. There's these parallels of cybersecurity and media streaming that we want to use, to guide where we think deepfakes should be going. So can you give us your take on cybersecurity? How does it work as it relates to the parallel universe on deepfakes? So
1: as the CEO, every new employee who starts gets a personalized text message. And you know what that message says?
0: Um, don't share your password. <laughs>
1: No, it's actually not for me. I I don't know where these folks get their information from, but it's a text message telling them, hey, I'm actually in a meeting right now or I'm at a conference. Can you go to the store or can you call me back? I need you to do something for me. I need a gift card or I need something from you. So everyone gets that message.
0: You're kidding. Really? Wow. Everyone without fail. This is a phishing attack or... That's so smart. Can you imagine, I'm a new person, the boss is telling me, can you go get me a coffee? Oh, by the way, just send me $25 and I'll buy it myself or whatever. Oh my God.
1: Right, just get me a Starbucks gift card and send it to me because I'm here at Starbucks, I don't have any, any cash on me or whatever, however you want to call it. But that is super important because, you know, now we have to train and we have to educate our employees that this is something that's done and it's part of our onboarding and our training and-
0: Education, education, yes
1: education. Exactly, exactly. So that's a really interesting example that that we have to deal all the time. But the sophistication of these phishing attacks or cybersecurity attacks are now a lot more complex. Before, you know, you can detect certain things because they're non-sophisticated. For example, there was some errors or some grammar mistake, or there was something that didn't make sense that didn't quite fit right. But now with the use of large language models, and also we see text a lot of times from different sources, and sometimes we don't trust it. So that's why we call somebody and verify our wire information. For example, if you're doing a large transaction and you want to wire, you want to make sure that nobody kind of caught your email in between and and did that. However, what's happening now is that somebody on the other side can fake your voice. So even if you call in, you can still get somebody. This is very relevant in older populations as well. So the elderly, and they get scammed quite a bit. So the introduction of voice and this voice deepfakes, they can make a huge difference. They can be done at, at scale and they can be done in a more targeted way. So that's a huge, huge kind of area that we need to take a look at. So some of the techniques in, around this deepfakes, you know, you can have signature based detection. You can have this anomaly based detection things like behavior analysis, but these are around systems, right? So if you're an organization, you're putting a lot of these systems in place in order to identify different patterns and to identify trusted sources of information that are coming in. That's why you see in your emails quite a bit is like, this is an external email, even though somebody, you know, of course you communicate externally with a lot of folks, but these are getting very, very sophisticated. In our day-to-day lives, we're gonna see them more and more. In our corporate lives, I would say, yes, we're gonna see the effects, but not as much because we are deploying systems that are taking that into account.
0: 100%, so there you have it. On the cybersecurity angle, education, prevention, more technology to combat, right? The technology to attack, but also to defend. It's all part of this journey. All right, artists, let's do our second one, which is media streaming. And I think this is one of your ideas. I really liked it. But if I am in a mode operandi of synthetic media, right, I know it's edited. And, and I'm just going to give you this primer so you can tell everyone what you're thinking. When I am in CGI, computer-generated graphics, fakes, yeah, give me Game of Thrones dinosaurs that fight in medieval times with, you know, the craziest Vikings. I'm all for that. You know, dragons and Godzilla and Godzilla against King Kong go for it. But when I'm not in that environment and I know that, there's an expectation. So what is it that you're thinking about live streaming versus kind of synthetic media?
1: So there's this notion called zero trust security or zero trust system. And that's in cybersecurity or security overall. And what that means is that, you know, everything is is at risk or or every piece of information, unless verified, should be treated as malicious or should be treated as foreign. So we can take a look at that and start thinking backwards. In a world where it's so easy to create synthetic media and synthetic content, we should be looking at that content through that lens of everything is fake or everything can be disinformation or or not trusted unless we can verify it. It's the same thing that we do when we look at a live stream and we see that event in our televisions or we see that event happening and we believe it because it's happening live right now, we see it as much more valuable. We look at sporting events right now, we look at news, all the things that are streaming live as authentic and happening right now. So our brain has been trained to look at media with that tag of live to be much more relevant and much more important, and we should be paying attention to that. So this idea of tagging a piece of content or tagging something with a live tag instills a trust component for us and signifies something that's you know much more relevant. Now, let's transform that into the synthetic world. What is the equivalent of the live tag for, synthetic media or for media going forward or or whatever we're consuming. Is it real? Like right now we don't know. Yeah. Exactly. So how do we authenticate something is is, is true. And this is going to be a, a battle that we're going to move forward with, and we're going to have for a while. Some of the camera makers, for example, Nikon and Sony, they're introducing cameras and they're introducing what they're calling certain technology in their chips that adds a watermark to their content. So when you're viewing this content, the software that you're viewing it through is actually telling them, okay, this is real. You know, this has not been doctored or this has not been changed, so to speak. So we're going to have this larger platform like Facebook and Next and so on and so forth be on the hook for tagging content as real versus assuming that everything else is fake. So I truly believe that that's going to be a way for us to identify authentic, real content and distinguish between, is this entertaining content? Should I trust it? Is it coming from a a true source? Or I don't really care if it's fake or not. and. It's just for my own entertainment, so I don't care.
0: I I really think there's a lot to be said that if I am observing multimedia content, you know, CGI stuff, dragons, love that. But in live streaming, let's say that I am looking at a basketball game live stream and all of a sudden I see a dragon, you know there's something awfully wrong there. Like the prime, how your brain starts to ingest these things. It's really, really interesting. So I, yeah, I really think that artists, um, on your prediction, if, you, if this were going to be called a prediction, we're onto something. I- I'd like to finish with this. 1998 is when Google launches as a company, right, from Larry Page and Sergey uh, Brin as PhD students. And at that point, we had a deepfake moment. What does that mean? The information architecture was a disaster. You would try to find an in information and search it. And it was hard to do it, right? And then all of a sudden there was a Larry Page who connected the dots of relevancy and how ranking around the information flow sticks in, puts the layer and connects the dots. So who is the next Larry Page for deepfakes, live streaming, multimedia, synthetic content and brings that aspect to it? It's basically what, in a way we're saying, is going to take place. Why? Because the business cases are really interesting. Why? Because... The legal frameworks are common because these disasters and bad use cases that are taking place and are predominantly because the Swifties are pissed off. So we really think that as you think about the evolution in AI, you should follow these trends. So as technologists, we celebrate the fakes because they're incredible technological milestones. As educators, we're here telling you, this is how they work, the good and the bad. But as leaders, we really start thinking that there is some work to be done, and we hope we can shape it uh, with this type of conversations. Artists, right, I hope you enjoyed the multimedia approach to this podcast. And as always, floored by your ideas, my friend.
1: This is great. Thanks, JC, for kind of connecting us with popular culture.
0: <laughs>
1: Bye, everybody. Have a good one, everyone. Till next time. Generation AI is part of the Enrollify podcast network. If you like this podcast, chances are you're going to like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing weekly, and we've got a wide range of marketing, enrollment, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. Our shows help higher ed leaders and professionals like you find their next big idea. They feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts, like Jamie Hunt, Seth O'Dell, Jenny Lee Fowler, Brian Gross, and many of your favorite leaders in higher ed. Enrollify is made possible by Element 451, the next-generation AI student engagement platform that's helping institutions all over the country create meaningful, personalized, and engaging connections with their prospects and students. Learn more at element451.com.